In behalf of the Bernardino family, we would like to thank those of you who condoled and who visited the wake of my brother. My brother uh, went home to the Lord last um, March 12, Tuesday. And there are three things I personally learned from that uh, journey. One was it took that crisis for my brother and I to be closer to each other more than we were close in the past 55 years. So those three years, he gave me the opportunity to be part of his uh, journey. And every time he will text or call me to go to the hospital, or to go to him during the last uh, day. Of course, there was an easy feeling in me, but there was also a joy that my brother is giving me space to extend my love for him. The second thing I've learned is um, I have two difficulties during that crisis for the past three years. One is I have prayed for people who are terminally ill, journeyed with them. Some of them went home to the Lord and 60% of them are still alive. And the big question in my mind was, Lord, what about in the case of my brother? He is younger than I for three years. He has pastored 32 years. I have pastored only three years longer. So for the past three years, I've been praying for a miracle that God will show, that God will manifest himself in the life of my brother and his church. And I realize that it is not my will, it is not the will of my sister-in-law my, uh, my sister and her children that is the best, it is God's will. About five days before he died, my wife and I visited him and it was a difficult scenario because the main doctor told us already that they cannot do anything anymore. So one of his lungs has collapsed. The other one is, uh, you know, filled with, uh, you know, nodes. That's why he is having difficulty breathing. And then he asked for me. And then when I leaned to him, he said to me, Kuya, I want to rest. I want to go home. I cannot respond because my sister-in-law is there and they were not willing to bring him home. 
when we talk about bringing him home from the hospital, my, my niece, who is a nurse, will walk out because she does not want to hear those kinds of statements. So after some time, I told my brother, uh, we'll talk about it with your family. That statement, I want to go home, he told me many years ago when he was studying in Calvin Theological Seminary, doing his uh, Master of Theology in the New Testament. And after two years, he called me up long distance and said to me, Kuya, I want to go home. And I remember my answer was, there, if you go home, you will not be able to finish your degree. Because once you go home, you'll assume pastoral responsibilities, you will not have time to write your dissertation. And he told me, but Kuya, I'm no longer happy. I want to go home. So when he was saying that to me five days before he died, I vividly recall that same statement, I want to go home. So I talked to Marian and she said they, they will still do their best. I talked to uh, one of my nieces and assured her, whatever happens, we will support your decision and we will help you. Just, you know, just call, just text. So we went home with the uneasy feeling who do you listen to, your brother or his wife and three daughters? After four days, I received that text again. This time from my niece. Said, Tito, my dad is calling for you. And I told my wife, I think this is it. So we went there and we arrived about four o'clock. So I saw him restless, we prayed together, and Sylvia played some music in her iPad. And then the last statement I heard from my brother is, let's pray. So we prayed again, and that was it. He was diagnosed with third stage colon cancer sometime April 2016. And what I admire about him was during that journey, he has done something I think I will not do. I have never heard him ask why. I have never seen him question God or be angry with God. It's ironical because my master's degree dissertation in Calvin Seminary 
was about lament psalms. 37 psalms that are questioning God why, how long, and those kinds of things. But I did not see, I did not hear my brother utter those statements of protest. The other difficulty I have is how to tell our parents. When we came to Santa Cruz Laguna, five days before my brother died, my mother asked us, is there sick? And I said, yes, yes. But I stopped there. I did not tell my mom that he is in the hospital, that he is in his last days. So that was the concern of us, the siblings. And I am the eldest. So three days before Bear was buried, my three siblings went to my mother. And my mother was the one who opened the statement. And she said, how is your brother Bear? So that was the opening to my siblings. And, said, and they said, he is no longer suffering. Nanai. The Lord took him. So my mother just cried out. But un unlike before, my mother would have, you know, panicked and collapsed. But the grace of God was there. She was there even with my father during the burial. And uh, we were so thankful that it all went well. That's why my sermon, the last Sunday morning in his church, was 2 Timothy 4, 6. My brother has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. And he kept the faith. And for that, I am very grateful. Today, I would like to talk about a topic which is very modern, in fact, postmodern. And the title I give to the sermon is What Genuine Spirituality Is According to Our Lord Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open it to Luke chapter 10. We will study verse 25 to 42, but let me read only up to verse uh, 29. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 29. A lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to the lawyer, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And the response of Jesus was the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
what is spirituality? How come nowadays many people, including non-Christians, would rather call themselves spiritual, not religious? They will say, I am not born again, but I am a spiritual person. You know, it's hard to define spirituality because it has developed through the years. Before, spirituality is a process by which a human being practices religion so that the lost image of God in him can be restored back. But nowadays, spirituality is being used by Buddhists, by New Agers, and their concept of spirituality is still a process by which a person becomes at peace with himself, with his environment, and with the greater cosmos. The reason why spirituality is more attractive than religion was highlighted by Michael Sharp. He wrote, Authentic spirituality is a spirituality that is practical, that works. And by that I mean authentic spirituality is a spirituality that successfully builds a bridge, a bridge to God, and if you are not a Christian, a bridge to consciousness, or if you are a Hindu, a Buddhist, a bridge to the Krishna, the ideal state. Put in another way, we might say authentic spirituality gets you from the mundane here of normal consciousness to the spiritual there of higher connection. By the way, these are New Age uh, statements. So the concept of spirituality is it brings you to a higher, more noble, bigger consciousness than your everyday life. You know, the danger of modern spirituality is seen in these two posters. One said, spirituality is not a religion. Being spiritual just means you are in touch with your what? With your divine self. So don't think much about the divine outside of you. There is a divinity in you. And through a process of self-consciousness, you can achieve your being a God. Another one said, morality is doing what is right, regardless of what you are told. Religion is doing what you are told, regardless of what is right. Spiritual people are not godless. We just happen to honor the God 
in all of us. Divinity is in you as it is in me. So, you know, let's be careful about using the words of the New Agers with regards to spirituality because we are meaning two different things. So why talk about spirituality according to Jesus? After Jesus died and resurrected, the church has become a uh, powerful uh, movement after the Roman era. So many people became religious. Christianity has become the religion of the empire. And because of that, pagans came to the church. Those who are Gnostics and philosophers came also to the church. And they are trying to integrate where they are coming from to the new faith. And Paul gave a warning in Colossians 2 verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with what? With empty philosophies and high-sounding, high-faluting what? Nonsense. Where do they come from? They come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And then Paul highlighted, in Christ lives the fullness of God in human body. You are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of every ruler and authority. The full divinity is not in us, is not in any human being, is not in any philosophy. It is in Christ. And if you are connected with Christ, then you will experience fulfillment, completion. You know, many people wanted to experience completion or fullness through esoteric knowledge, through esoteric experiences. But Paul is saying, no, your fullness can come only through your union with Christ. So today, let me talk about what Jesus taught us about genuine spirituality. In uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, a lawyer, an intellectual person, approached Jesus. And look at how he called Jesus. Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Let me paraphrase in modern terms. Teacher, what should I do to experience this otherworldly experience? Because people are not only concerned with something beyond them, they are concerned about living forever. And look at the response of Jesus. Jesus did not tell them 
to go to the highest mountain in the Himalayas. Jesus did not tell them to fast so many days and to practice certain religious rituals. Look at the answer of Jesus. What is written in the Torah? How does the law read to you? So Jesus is rooting, is founding spirituality in the word of God. And he demonstrated that when he was being tempted by Satan, the offer was, I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I will give it to whoever I wish. If you worship before me, it will be yours. Look at the answer of Jesus. It is not based on what the enemy is saying. It is not based on what he prefers. It is based on the word of God itself. Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If we want to talk about God, if we want to have a relationship with God, the source should be the very word of God. You know, nowadays, people tend to be drawn by personalities. Who is the speaker? Who is the guest? Who is the pastor of the church? And that is dangerous. Look at the foundation of spirituality these days. One writer said, spirituality does not come from religion. It comes from where? It comes from our soul. It does not come from above. It comes from inside of us. Another and this guy is very popular, Depak Copra. Religion is belief in someone else's experience. Spirituality is having your own experience. So in one case, spirituality comes from within you. Copra is saying it comes from your own experience. And then Stephen Atkinson said, being spiritual has nothing to do with your, with your beliefs. It is to do with what you feel. So nowadays, the basis of people's decisions are their feelings, are their experiences, are their gut instinct. But if you are a Christian, the basis of your and my decision should be the word of God. And it's so easy for us to be diverted. Because this alternative is popular in the noontime shows and in the evening uh, magazine format shows where people are expressing more about their feeling, about their experiences, about their hopes. 
But where is God in all this? We are reminded by David about the foundation of genuine spirituality. He said in Psalm 19 verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Vice Ganda is not perfect. He is intelligent. Boyabunda is intelligent. But they are not perfect. We cannot allow ourselves and our children to be shaped by the prevailing sentiment of talk, talk shows host. Because they, they speak from their experience only, from their readings. But if we are people of God, we need to base our feelings, our decision in the very law of the Lord which is characterized as Perfect. And because it is perfect, it can restore our souls. When a struggling LGBT person consults an older LGBT person, what will the older LGBT person will say to him or to her? Will what the older LGBT person Restore the soul of this person or even wound the soul even deeper. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It is not a maybe. It is not hope to be. It is sure. And because it is sure, it can make the wise, it can make the simple wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. So even if it is hard to do, even if it is hard to follow, as you follow that precept, it will rejoice your heart because the ending of it will be beautiful. And in the long run, you realize that the word of God is more desirable than, than gold. Pastor, what makes your Bible and my Bible that perfect, that sure, that right? It is written only by people like you and me who can make mistakes. Yeah, we can make mistakes. When I was doing my doctorate dissertation, I was required to hire an external editor. What the external editor will do is to read your dissertation and correct the grammar, the syntax, and you pay him by page. And that's all right. <laughs> because sometimes when you are the one who wrote your dissertation, you are so engrossed with it, you cannot be objective. You will miss something. So after... You know, writing my dissertation, I gave it to that person. And when he returned back the paper, I saw colorful marks in my dissertation. <laughs> so I, I rewrote the dissertation again 
respecting those colored marks. But what about this Bible? Are they not beset by human errors too? I have read this Bible more than 40 years already. 40 years. And I have not seen something that is problematic. Why is that? Why is this foundation of our spirituality reliable? Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture, yes, it is written by people, but Paul said it is, it is inspired by God. Well, but don't we get inspired too? The writer of, um, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, the writer of Harry Potter, also got inspired, diba? That's why they are able to write series. That's true. But the word inspired in this verse is different from the word inspired we are using today. The word inspired in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in Greek is theo nustos. Theo is God. Nustos is breathe. So yes, they were written by Malachi, by Isaiah, by Amos, by Moses. But while they were writing, the Spirit of God is breathing into them. Both the thoughts and the words that they will write. I cannot claim that for my sermons. But that's the claim of scriptures. And because these words are breathed into by God, they are profitable. They are useful. They are helpful. For what purposes? For salvation, for sanctification, our change, for service, and even for success. So the foundation of your and my spirituality should, just, should not just be human thinking, nor human opinion, nor human experiences. They can be very helpful. They can be very helpful. But they are not perfect. When you consult a counselor, when you consult a coach, when you consult a consultant or a mentor, what is your question? What is your question? You are paying those guys. Your question is oftentimes, what should I do? And these people whom you approach will guide you 
into a process to help you clear out your minds, will help you look at your options, and then finally they will say to you, so among these options that you have thought of, which one do you believe is the best option for you? Because nowadays, you can no longer tell a person what he or she should do. Because you can go to jail. So to be safe, the consultant will help you go through the process or the mentor or the coach and then help you reach your goal. And it's actually you making the decision. Can you turn with me your Bibles to Psalm 32 verse 8? And let's look at the difference. Psalm 32 verse 8. I often text that verse to some of us when we are seeking for guidance. Psalm 132 verse 8. Ah, Psalm 32, yes. Psalm 32 verse 8. What did the Lord say to David? Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the possible ways. No. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. And when I tell you about the way you should go, what does God say in the next line? I will counsel you with my eye upon you. When we go to a counselor, to a mentor, to a consultant, and they process you and help you, now when you execute it, where are they? Where are they? They are in their office. But God is saying, my eye shall be upon you. My dear brethren, when you make decisions, especially important ones, about your life, about your relationship, what is your basis? Spirituality should be founded on the very word of God. Remember the question of the lawyer? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Look at what Jesus said in John 5:39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Yes, it's beautiful to read the Bible and be assured of the life to come. But the better result of searching the scriptures is that you are drawn to a personal relationship with the Messiah. You know, when the 70 followers of Jesus who were sent by Jesus out to proclaim and to heal came back, they were so happy. 
They were so happy that they can do great things. And sometimes people are happy that they can do great ministries. But the big question is, how is our relationship with Jesus? The worst thing that can happen is we become like the Pharisees and the lawyers. They know well the Bible, but they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. So yes, when you search the scriptures, you will find eternal life. But eternal life is not in rituals and practices. Eternal life is connected with Jesus. He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not believe in the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So I hope when you read your Bible, it will not make you just religious, nor spiritual. I hope when you read your Bible, you will find and discover Jesus and have a deeper intimacy with him. Second, genuine spirituality is a love affair. Jesus said to the lawyer, what does the law said? And the lawyer responded accurately. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. He was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. What do you notice about that statement? The lawyer summarized the whole Old Testament. And Jesus, in another gospel, affirmed that. So the summary of the law, the summary of the prophets, is a love affair with God. And that love affair is not just verbal. Look, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Genuine spirituality is motivated by a wholehearted love for God. Why is it important that we love God with our all? In Deuteronomy 4.29, Moses said to Israel, when you get exiled, when you go away from the promised land, from there, you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him. And what is the condition? You will find him if you search for him with all your heart, and with all your soul. Many people today, Christians included, cannot hear the voice of God, cannot experience God, because their search for God 
is oftentimes partial. We are not really intense. We are not really focused. We are not really passionate in seeking after God. As a matter of fact, God becomes a fallback. And if he is not fulfilling his role, I would turn to others who will be of help to me. Ladies, those of you who are married, ladies, how would you feel if the heart of your husband is not fully devoted to you? Your husband loves you 70%. Your husband thinks of you 60%. During the day and in the evening. Is that okay? Sabi ni Ate Yoli, no. Why no? He loves you. Jesus said to the religious leaders, you play actors. That's the meaning of the word hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, these people honor me with their, how is their spirituality? It is just verbal. But their heart is far away from me. And if our heart is far away from the Lord, and we come to the Lord on Sunday, or in our quiet time, it will be in vain. You know, I heard the dialogue. The husband said to the wife, You are too selfish. I already gave you part of my heart. Every 15th and 30th, I give you my, almost all my salary. And you're still unhappy? You're too greedy. You want everything of me? Is that not what we promised when we got married? The Apostle Paul said, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Can you imagine so many people coming to church because they have to go to church? They do service to the Lord. If they will have their own choice, they will not serve. But because they are pressured, now they are serving. The Apostle Paul wrote, God loves a cheerful giver who gives from the heart who gives without computing. Right after the Good Samaritan story, we find two sisters, and Jesus loved both of them. But look at the narrative. As they were traveling along, Jesus entered the village. And what happened when he entered the village? There was a lady named Martha, and she welcomed Jesus into her home. 
she took the initiative to invite Jesus to come over. Oftentimes, the problem with Jesus is when you invite him, there are 12 others who are with him. Now, Martha had a sister called Mary. And when Jesus entered their home, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, mesmerized, looking at his face, listening at his word. But Martha, Martha was distracted. She couldn't focus. Her heart, her mind, her strength, it's divided. She wanted to be there, but she has to be here and to prepare the food. And then after some time, she's getting tired, she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care? You know, many Christians are saying that to, to God nowadays. Don't you care? My sister left me to do all the serving alone. She was pitying herself. What did she call Jesus? Lord. But look at the next statement. Shanaan Lord. Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are scattered brain. You are worried and bothered about so many things. You know, many Christians are like that nowadays. We are so worried about so many things. Paano pag hindi ako nagka-boyfriend? Paano pag nagka-boyfriend ako, tas gwapo siya, tas marami gusto ka sa kanya? Anong gagawin ko? Kaya ka hindi maligawan eh. Hindi ka pa nalaligawan, namumroblema ka na. You are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is needful. Only one thing is important. Mary has chosen that one thing and that will not be taken away from her. Spirituality is a choice. Our intimacy with God is a choice. We cannot blame anybody for it. Because it is you who is making the decision about your time and about your engagement. You can say no. Mary chose to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to the word of Jesus. As I said uh, last time, I went, my wife and I went to a church and uh, they have about 200 members in the church. And I was lecturing in the church almost every day in the evening. And my host will open the gate of the church. They will go inside. They will prepare the chairs. They will prepare the, you know, the LCD. Some will prepare the merienda, etc., etc., and then I will be lecturing, we will have workshop, and then there's a break, people will eat, and then after the eating, we'll, we'll study again, and then after studying, you know, all people are busy, and then all go home. And I had this 
you know, question in my mind. Does the church have a paid staff? Do they have a janitor? Because they have a big church. And I was surprised. I was surprised, even my wife. The only person they pay is their lead pastor. The two other lead pastors are volunteers. The rest are volunteers. Those who are setting up the chairs are volunteers. Those who are bringing food are volunteers. Right after the meeting, they, you know, they set the chairs back to their places. All of them volunteers. In 30 minutes to one hour, the church is clean. And I look at and observe the people if they are like Martha's. No, they are not. They are very happy and excited to serve. And then they sit down and listen. So when I'm lecturing, when we are studying, no one is in the kitchen. And then after the discussion, they all go to the kitchen. They eat. It's amazing what love, love can do. Now they have a mission outreach in Tarlac and Pampanga. A group of them are now here. And I was curious. I asked them, how much is the budget of the church to bring so many people in Pampanga and in Tarlac? They say, we don't have a budget. Why? The people spend for their airfare, for their accommodations. You find the combination of Martha and Mary among those two people. And I hope we can see that manifest in Breadcom QC. That we will not only be based on the Word of God, you know, our ministries, our relationship will be motivated by the love for Jesus. I do this because of my love for Jesus. Number three, and the last one. When Jesus asked the lawyer what is written in the law, the lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. And then he added something. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pastor, in my Bible, there is no you shall love your neighbor. Yes, that's true. That principle is called ellipsis. You repeat the main command, you shall love, as the command in the second part also. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And look at the comment of Jesus. You have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. So spirituality is not just how you relate with God. Spirituality also is how you relate with your neighbor. And then this lawyer said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? If you are asked that question, what will be your response? Who is your neighbor? Like the lawyer, we may be thinking, they are those people who are like us. 
They believe like us. They speak like us. They know us. And they like us. They are helpful and beneficial to us. That's my neighbor. Now some will say, my neighbor are those who like us. They are the same ethnic group. They admire us because of our profession. They rely upon us. At times, they are dependent on us. Who is your neighbor? Well, my neighbor is, of course, the people living in the next house. Do you know their names? More likely, we know their car. More likely, we know whether they have dogs and cats or not. But in Manila, it's starting to be a sad reality that we don't even know our neighbors. The story of the Good Samaritan happened in the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. See, Jerusalem is a high place about 650 meters above sea level or 2,540 feet. And then if you are going to Jericho, you will have to descend. You will have to go down. Jericho is 825 feet below sea level. So really, when you are going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's a nice walk. But when you are going from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's a tough walk. It's, it's going up. Now, how did the, the scenario look like? Well, here is the picture of the road to uh, Jericho. What do you notice? On the left side is the bigger picture. You know, there are no trees, just a highway. And then on the farther left, that's a picture taken in 1955. That's an actual road from Jerusalem going down to uh, Jericho. Will people stay there? Will people hang out there? No. So when a traveler will go down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he will pass through like 37 to 40 kilometer distance without meeting any human person. And that's a perfect setting for bandits and robbers who are hiding behind the hills. So Jesus answered the question of the man, who is my neighbor, by a story known as the story of the Good Samaritan. Can you imagine this story had been allegorized by Origen and so many early church fathers, including Augustine. And this is how they allegorize. Please, don't do this to the Bible, okay? They say Jerusalem is the paradise, Jer the heaven, Jericho is the earth, okay? The man was Adam, and the robber was Satan. 
Okay, and Jesus was the one who was the good Samaritan. And the innkeeper is the church. So Jesus brought the victim to the church to take care. And then Jesus will come back again. That's a style of interpretation called allegorization. You allegorize the story. But Jesus was telling this story for another purpose. In this story, there are three major characters. The first one were the robbers. I call them the self-serving robbers. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers. You don't want to be among robbers. Why? Well, they will strip you, they will beat you, and they will go away leaving you empty, leaving you even half dead. There are many robbers around us nowadays. They are not concerned with you. They are only concerned with what they can get from you. And they can be brutal. So that's the first group of people in the story. And then the second group of people in the story, by chance, a priest was going down on that road and when he saw the victim, what did he do? He passed by on the other side. In short, iniwasan niya yung lalaki. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. What is common or what was common with these two characters, the priest and the Levites? Both of them were religious. Okay? And what was their common response to the victim? Why did they pass by on the other side? Why? They were teaching the people about the Ten Commandments. They were teaching the people about helping those who cannot help themselves. But why will they not help this guy? What do you think? The writer did not give us the explanation. The writer simply said, he passed by on the other side. Can you guess? We can all guess. Why did they pass by? Well, maybe they were so in a hurry. Maybe it is a Sabbath and they have to go home to their family so that they can celebrate Sabbath with them. Well, maybe... But we were not told about that detail. What else? What's the possibility? They were scared. Because the robbers may just be there around, waiting upon anybody who will come near. Okay? And maybe the guy is acting. Maybe he is part of the robbers. 
maybe if you come close to him, he will suddenly grab you. You know? So I simply call these people self-preserving religious. They don't want to dirty their hands. They don't want to get involved. You know? The third character in the story, the Samaritan. He was on a journey and he came upon him and also saw him. But unlike the two the priests and the Levites, unlike the robbers, he has feelings. He has feelings. And what was his feeling? Cum passion. <laughs> Cum is with, passion is feeling. But in the Greek, the word is, is planknitsomai. Is plankna is intestines. So when he saw yung, yung lalaki, yung kanyang bituka ay naapektuhan. So anong ginawa niya? He came to him. He did not think about those scary, skeptical thoughts. He just came to him. He bandaged up his wound. Tapos what's, what's next? He poured oil. That's costly. He poured oil and wine on them. And what else did he do? He put the guy on his own beast. So he will walk. And he brought him to the inn. And while they were there, he took care of him. Siya muna ang nag-alaga. On the next day, he took out two denarii. One denarius is the salary for a day. So he took out two denarii is 1,000 pesos. He took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. What was he doing? And why was he doing it? He felt something. He felt compassion. The compassion moved him to do even beyond the ordinary. The verbs that you find there are so many. Came to him, bandaged up his wound, poured oil and wine, put him on his beast, brought him to an inn, took care of him, gave denarii, and then talked to the innkeeper and then he will repay one after the other. And you know what? He didn't even know the guy. He is not from Breadcom, Quezon City. And then Jesus gave the punchline. After telling the story, what do you think was the feeling of the lawyer? While Jesus was telling the story, the robber, the priest, the Levite, something like that. And then the Samaritan. What do you think was going on in the mind of the lawyer? 
Actually, he was offended already. Why was he offended already? Because he is aligned with the priests and the Levites. And you made the Samaritan our enemy, the hero in your story? How dare you? But Jesus asked him the question, which of the three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he cannot help but say, the one who showed, who manifested, who exercised mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So here are the definitions of neighbors according to Jesus. <clears throat> Who is your and my neighbor? Number one, anybody who has need and who cannot help themselves. Number two, those who are feeling compassionate upon seeing the needs. And third, after feeling compassion, those who showed mercy to people who can be different from them, worse, who are their enemies, and you may have to even pay a price, a cost. Why did Jesus tell this story? Because Jesus in his ministry will always point towards a good Samaritan story. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 10, when Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, there were many tax collectors and sinners. And they were dining with Jesus. They were having a party with Jesus. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire what? compassion and not religious sacrifices. I did not come to call the clean, the righteous. I come to call the sinners. Breadcom QC, we need to think about this message. How many people outside do we see are brutally wounded by other people. Sometimes we even hurt them unconsciously. What do we do with hurting people? What do we do with special kids? What do we do with people who are depressed? Because sometimes they don't come to church because they, we tell them, 
You're depressed? Kala ko ba Christian ka? Ba't ka na di-depressed? Instead of feeling what they're feeling, instead of showing mercy, we judge them, we criticize them. Maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe there's something wrong with your family. But you know what? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The Lord is near to neighbors who cannot fend for themselves, who cannot fight for themselves. The Lord is near to those who are sick, who are sinners, who are marginalized in the society. It's not easy to help them. When Brother Lito was working with Bureau of Customs, Brother Lito came to me and said, Pastor, we need to do something with the Bureau of Customs. I said, yeah, what do you plan to do? Well, I, I can talk to, uh, to the commissioner and let's do something. I said, okay. And then I wrote a letter. I made a curriculum and we went there. And the commissioner then was, uh, was not yet a congressman. Now he's, I think he's a congressman. And when I handed him the letter, I said, uh, Commissioner, and I heard, by the way, he's a Christian. I said, Commissioner, I came here because uh, Colonel Santiago wants to do something with your department, with your, and I'm willing to help. You know what the commissioner asked me the first question? How much are we going to pay you? And I said, no, you don't have to pay me. We just want to help you. And then he said to me, but we are already doing value formation among our people. And I said, yes, but I'm not interested with the rank and file. I would like to do something with those who are in the middle, those who are supervisors. And I'm willing to come here with Colonel Lito Santiago every week if we have to. And then we will teach those who are on the middle, the supervisor. And then the commissioner said, okay, I will, I will bring this to our... Uh, training department and will call you. I think that was September, October. So I said to him, uh, Sir, uh, I hope you will make it soon because I will have to also make my activities for next year. So I was waiting, was waiting, was waiting. It came the year after. And that commissioner is removed already, by the way. So we will encounter those difficulties, those disappointments, but we should not stop. We need to keep on, you know, while we see things that are not right, by the grace of God, to volunteer and do something for those who are needing our help. 
So to summarize, what is genuine spirituality according to Jesus? One, genuine spirituality is based on the word of God. Number two, genuine spirituality is motivated by the love for God. And when you love God, you will prioritize Him, you will focus on Him, and your heart will be full for Him. Number three, genuine spirituality is concerned with hurting, with the marginalized who cannot help themselves. Genuine spirituality is not based on titles like priests and Levites, lawyers, Pharisees. It is not based on rituals. It is not based simply on feelings, nor good intentions. Sorry for the spelling of the intention. Nor what is happening inside the temple. The story happened out there on the roadway. Genuine spirituality should not just be inside this room. It should happen outside this room. It should not just border on the feeling. It can start from the feeling. It can start from what we see. But it should result to doing something. Jesus manifested this kind of spirituality himself. While we were still helpless, while we were ungodly, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies. He died. His blood was shed so that we can be reconciled with God. It is costly to do ministry. It can cost your time. It can cost your reputation. It can cost money. It can even cost your life. But your life will be lived well when you serve. So let me end with these two passages. The first is Matthew 6.33. What does it say? Does it say one of the things you should consider in your life is uh, the kingdom of God? No, 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 no. Jesus said, we are so worried about many things like Martha. We are worried about the food we will eat. The, the clothes we will wear, the drink we will drink. We are worried about our homes. We are worried about tuition fees. We are worried about so many things which the Father himself knows. But seek first. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first the king and what is right in his sight. And all those things that you worry about will be added to you. Let us not make Jesus secondary or tertiary. Let's make the king primary in our lives. And we will see what will happen with our lives. You know, the world now is, you know, shaping us so that God will be relegated only on Sunday. Monday to Saturday is too busy to think about God. So the world wants us to think more about ourselves, more about our families, more about our society. But without God, those pursuits will be in vain. How do we seek first God in our everyday life?
and second, the last. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If we are motivated by the love for God, <clears throat> hatred and anger has no room in our hearts. And if we had been hurt, if we had been disappointed, if we are angry, by the grace of God, let's do something about it. Because it is not good to live a life with anger. Are you angry with your parents? Are you angry with your siblings? Are you angry with your spouse? Seek the help of the king so that that king can remove the bitterness and the anger from our hearts because anger defiles. And then John continued, we know love by this. Not by words. Jesus did not say much, I love you. But he expressed his love by laying down his life for us. He did something. He did not only feel compassion for us. He showed that compassion by dying on the cross. And John said, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If we cannot do that for each other, how can we even do that for our enemies? Jesus told us to love our enemies. But if we cannot love ourselves within the church, within our families, how can we love our enemies? Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. Kasi tamad siguro siya. Kasi bobo siya. Kasi palagi na lang siyang hingi ng hingi. Dahil doon, sinara natin yung puso natin. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Pure religion, according to James, is to visit, is to care for those who are in need, the orphans, the widows, and refuse the corruption, refuse the compromises there are in the world. You like to be intimate with God? Then by His grace, pursue genuine spirituality. Begin with this word. Ask God to pour out His love in your heart. And then begin to share that love to someone whom God will bring across your path. Let us pray. Our God, thank you for reminding us through Paul not to be conformed with the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds.
so that we may know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Lord, forgive us if we have thought like the world, if we already feel like the world, and if we pursue things like the world and not like our Lord Jesus. Lord, forgive us if we are motivated by other factors in our lives other than love for you and other than love for our brethren. And Lord, if you have shown us people who are in need, people who are hurting, but we did not feel anything, we did not do anything for them, Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, let your love be poured into Breadcomb, Quezon City. Let us be, O oh Lord, true followers of Jesus who will be willing to take risk, who will be willing to sacrifice, who will be willing even to be laughed at, only so that we can follow the footsteps of our King. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that before you taught us through spirituality, you have given us yourself. You have shown us by your life what it means to love God and to love our neighbor. Help us to be more loving people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.